When I was uh, a teenager, I had like an existential crisis to try to figure out what's the meaning of life. Elon tries to figure out the meaning of life. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And where in the world is the world going? Yesterday, uh, out in the 100 degree heat, going on about two or three hours of sleep. I have this weird schedule where, um, you know, I, I get done and I, I sleep a little bit during the day. And then I have to get up and before everything closes, I have to go take care of all my business and then come home, go back to sleep and then get up and go to work uh, overnight. So it's kind of this weird life that I live with split shift sleep and trying to take care of business. It's like waking up at 3 a.m. to go do your banking and grocery shopping and all that stuff and then coming home, going back to sleep for a little bit and then getting up and going to work. So uh, yesterday, you know, 100 degrees hot, frustrated, tired, and go to a Walmart to do uh, shopping for the store. And I'm standing in line in the one checkout that's opened and long line. And, you know, like I usually do, I don't read the magazines on the rack. I flip open my phone and I'll scan social media and happen to pop open Twitter. And the first thing that pops up on my feed is a post from the president of the United States talking about how uh, great the economy is doing, how great business is doing, how great the middle class is doing, while I'm sitting there absolutely dying from the price increases that I'm paying and frustrated. And I think I posted something on Facebook about, uh, you know, I, I, you know, really try to keep my politics off of social media, but sometimes it's really hard and uh, it is really hard, but it, I want to be, um, you know, if, if I don't want my politics to offend you, if, if my friends are going to dislike me for something, let them dislike me for, uh, talking about the Bible all the time or talking about Christ. You know, if you're going to dislike me, dislike me for Christ, not for, uh, a Republican or a Democrat. Believe me, I don't care about any of them enough to lose friends over. And so, uh, you know, just out of frustration, get back in the car and, get the air conditioning on and I'm finally headed home to wrap up the day and it kind of starts to all sink back in and you know, you take the deep breath and you calm down and you realize, okay, you got to get the the focus right and, uh, and you understand what's going on, where we're going, what's happening, why everything is the way it is. And so just talking a little bit from a, not a political perspective of where the country is and where the economy is, where we're going. But from a biblical perspective today, let's talk a little bit about just where we are and where we're going. And so Elon Musk says that as a kid, he sat down, you know, Elon's supposed to be like the genius of our day, right? People just think Elon is just the uh, smart. I mean, he's way smarter than me. I mean, he is admittedly extremely brilliant. And I think whether you like Elon or you don't like Elon, you have to admit the guy is really, really, really smart. He's kind of like our Nikolai Tesla of the day, which is uh, probably why he named his company that, because he's a fan of Tesla as well. Okay, so uh, he says that he sat down and uh, he tried to figure out the meaning of life growing up, and it threw him into a deep depression. Here's what he said. When I was uh, a teenager, I had like an existential crisis to try to figure out what's the meaning of life. There doesn't seem to be any meaning. Um, 
for me at least, the religious texts, and I read all of them that I get my hands on, did not seem convincing. So then I'm like, okay. Then I started reading the philosophers. You know, be careful of like reading German philosophers as a teenager. It's definitely not going to help with your depression. <laughs> now, as an adult, it's much more manageable. But uh, as a kid, you're like, whoa. So then I was like, man, I'm just like struggling to find meaning in life here. And and then I read uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And basically what Douglas Adams was saying is that we don't really know what the right questions are to ask. Like the question is not uh, what's the meaning of life. The real problem is is trying trying to formulate the, the question. You know, there's probably more truth in there than I understand. Uh, it seems like a really dumb answer to me that he, uh, is as brilliant as he is, can read uh, all the religious texts and come up with no answers. Um, he can read all the philosophers and only gets thrown deeper into depression. And where did he find his answer in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Question mark. Yeah. Exclamation point. Uh, so I don't know. You know, he's 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 brilliant, but the philosophers were also brilliant. And if you look at the way the philosophers' lives ended, it also ended in depression. And a lot of these guys killed themselves because they came to that same conclusion. What is the meaning of life? And they either came to the conclusion that there's no meaning in life or that the pursuit of whatever that is that they're, they're trying to grasp, whatever this utopian idea is, it's unattainable. And they drove themselves crazy trying to figure it out. And they literally lost their minds and eventually killed themselves. And so at least Elon battled through his depression, but at the end of the day, he was still just left with, well, it's not the answer, grasshopper. It is the question we must formulate. Okay, what's the question? See, it's, uh, it's, it's one thing to be smart. And then you have people that are like, you're surprised that they close the car door without slamming their fingers in the door every time. And yet they have the big questions in life figured out. They open the Bible, they read it, they understand it, and they understand this big picture view of the world. And you think, now, why is that? Why is it that somebody so smart can't figure it out? And they think the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is where the answer lies. And other people like myself, uh, I am not smart at all. Um, I'm a step above, uh, I'm basically a, a breathing brick. Yeah, pretty much. But I know I understand the purpose and the direction. And that is not anything of my own. It's because as I open the scriptures, I've, I've read it. I understand it. People have explained it to me and I, I get it. I also know what that's like before I used to read the Bible and it, I mean, it's words on the paper, it's stories. I, I read it, but it just didn't click. But then when the Holy Spirit illuminates your mind, I guess, and you see it and you understand it, you're like, 
I can't, I've read that. I've read that a hundred times. I've never seen that. I've, I've never, I've never seen that like that before. That's, that's amazing. Well, it's, it's the work of God. That's first, uh, first Corinthians chapter one, verse 27 says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. So there's very smart, very wise people out there, but that doesn't mean that they see it and can figure it out. And so as I just kind of work through things, you know, every now and then you get frustrated by the politics and the economy and, and, uh, and really honestly, the whole world, like right now, the whole world is such a mess. I can see how, if you watch the news, you must get incredibly frustrated and maybe nervous and worried. You worry about the world, the country, you know, people, they tell you we're on the edge of world war three. We're on the edge of a recession. Other people tell you we're on the edge of a depression. You better start stocking up canned food and water purifiers and seeds and whatever else. And, you know, it could get really, I could see how you could have anxiety and or depression right now. And so this reminds me of Luke chapter 21. And, uh, they were, they're talking to Jesus and they're saying, you know, teacher, tell us when will these things happen? When will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And so the Lord start talking about end times and, and he's saying, you know, just be careful, you know, make sure that you're not misled. It's going to be so easy to be misled. You know, all these people will come in my name and they're saying that I am he and the time is near and do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and disturbances, don't be afraid. These things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. And then he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes. And in various places, there's going to be plagues and famines. There's going to be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you. They will persecute you, delivering you uh, over to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my sake. And that'll lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Make up your mind beforehand, you know, not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. That way, when you get up and and you speak and you give a defense for me, uh, it will be um, the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. So anyway, he's saying, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be hated because of my name. And he starts talking about all these end times things and, and talking about the signs and the sun and the moon and the stars and and just the fear that will take men. And, and then they're going to see Christ returning in a cloud with great power and glory. But when these things begin to take place, he says, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing there. there. Anyways, that what reminded me of that is when he said, you know, these things must take place. And that's where I always fall back to on when it's time to settle your mind down, you start to get frustrated. I understand people think we need to fight 
for our country. I understand people think we need to fight for our country, but let me just say, everything that's happening right now is 100% in the hands of God. He is in control of it. And can I even say he has ordained it? It is his will that we have these people that are in power. Wicked people get wicked rulers. And, you know, very few people say it, but you remember back when we used to hear uh, countries in the Middle East called United States, the great Satan, they used to call us the great Satan. Remember that? And you'd think, well, that's awful rude. The great Satan, that's a bit extreme. Do you see why they said that now? Like they were filtering things through a different grid. They had a different standard of morality than we had here in the United States. And now we're just seeing that morality play all the way out. And now we are kind of in the end game and we are starting to see the results of the choices that we've seen. Um, You know, I'm not 50 years old yet, but I'm getting close. But I like to go back. I always think, man, where did it turn for us? And really, sorry, baby boomers, but it seems like after World War II, things were just different. And honestly, the heart of man is the heart of man. We've always been sinful. We've always been wicked. But there's a morality that started to change after World War II. And and we really started to see it in the 60s, right? The sexual revolution and it's just all the morality started to change and that started to play itself out. The decadence of the 80s, the uh, beginning of the acceptance of that decadence in the 90s. And now here we are, 2020, and we're starting to see where it's not only just accepted, it's getting completely warped and blown out of proportion. I don't know who this lady is. She's not Christian, but she has studied this. And I thought what she said I would tell you her name. I don't even know her name, but listen to this. Very interesting. I've always been fascinated, attracted to, you know, to the subject of androgyny, uh, and that's what the sexual persona is. I explored it in history, but the, the more I explored it, I realized that um, that historically, this uh, this uh, the movement toward androgyny occurs in late phases of culture. Okay, as a as a civilization is starting to uh, unravel. Okay, and that, that you can find it again and again and again through history in the in, in the in the Greek art. Okay, you can you can see it happening. All of a sudden, okay, there's a, there's a kind of uh, you know the, the the sculptures of of um, of handsome nude young men athletes that used to be very robust. Okay, in the archaic period, suddenly begin to seem like wet noodles. Okay, toward the end. Okay, and that uh, and that and that the people who 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 live in such periods, a late phase of culture. Whether it's it's the Hellenistic era, whether it's the Roman Empire, whether it's it's uh, the Mauve decade of Oscar Wilde in the 1890s, whether it's Weimar Germany, people who live at such times, okay, feel that um, they're very sophisticated, they're very cosmopolitan, okay, and homosexuality, heterosexuality, so what, anything goes, and so on, all right, and so, and but but we, from the perspective of, of historical distance, okay, you can see that it's a culture that no longer believes in itself, okay, and then and, and then what you what you invariably get are are you know are are people who 
are convinced of the power of heroic masculinity, okay, on the edges, whether they're the Vandals and the Huns, okay, or whether or whether they're the barbarians of ISIS, okay, you see them, you know, starting to mass on the outsides of the culture, and that's what we have right now. That there is a tremendous uh, and, and and rather terrifying disconnect between the infatuation with the transgender movement on, in, in our own culture and what's going on out there, okay, right? and so. And so I mean, that's why I'm concerned. I feel it's ominous. Okay. That's interesting. Interesting. Coming from the world, their view and understanding that if you just look at history, what we're seeing now is always present in the end of a civilization. Understanding that we are in perilous times and it's not just the economy, it's not just politics. I mean, even science, I mean, just basic black and white male and female is gone. I mean, we are so on the edge and it's not just one civilization. The entire world is like that right now. And so I think the answer is you, and you really have to come to this conclusion. You really have to know God, be settled And knowing that he is who he is and that he's sovereign and he's completely in control of that, of these things, and that these things must take place. This is all part of his plan to lead to the end, to the return of Christ, the judgment that is coming. And I think we're seeing that our country is already under judgment. So I appreciate your patriotism. I'm a patriot. I would fight for my country fight to get it back if I thought that we could. But the honest truth is, I think it's too far gone. And I think the end is in sight. And I know that you probably say we've seen weirdos on street corners with cardboard signs saying the end is near for decades and decades. Well, eventually those weirdos on the street corners with the cardboard signs are going to be right, right? And I think if you just look around at the world around us, Boy, we are closer than we've ever been before. It's all kind of imploding. And uh, so I think that, uh, and so the way that we talk about it in our house anyway, is just an understanding that first of all, you have to live with the understanding that Christ could return at any time. So if you read the Bible and you know the Bible and you study the Bible, you'll see that the Bible, there's not anything that has to happen. For Christ to return. People think, well, you know, I don't know. The Bible, you always would hear God speak and there were miracles and it just doesn't seem like any of that stuff happened. So the big reason why is because anything that was going to happen has all happened. Like we are in a quiet period right now because the only thing left to happen that hasn't happened in the Bible is the return of Christ. There's nothing that has to happen to prepare the way for the return of Christ. Like everything, the stage is set and we're just waiting for the curtain to be drawn. So in our house, we live with an expectation that Christ could return at any time. And that expectation that Christ could return at any time is extremely motivating in our faithfulness to Christ. Because if I think and truly believe that I could find myself standing before Christ at any time and he could return at any time and I have to give an account for my life, then that's that's very motivating to me, you know. 
And the other thing is, is this, even if he doesn't return in our lifetime, you never know when you will find yourself standing before the Lord. You never know when you find yourself standing before the judgment. How many friends have we lost that got in the car and uh, they just got in the car and took a drive and boom, that was the last time you saw them or they quickly got sick and, and it turned and that was it. So anyway, so whether it's the return of Christ or if it is you find yourself uh, having your, your life recalled by the maker at any time. I think that's it. We got to be ready for it. So anyways, don't worry about the country. Don't worry about the direction of it. That is all in the Lord's hands. I hate to tell you, I don't think we're going to get it back though. I think we're at the end of our civilization. Sad to say, but that also means we're closer to the return of Christ. Happy to say. A little different format again today. A little weird. Hopefully not too heavy. Way to go, Elon. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, huh? I have to check that one out. <laughs> Gosh, what a day. Have a good one. Talk to you later.